0: Go to the book of John, John chapter 16, and stand as you turn. John chapter 16. Thank you, Brother Acree, for singing this morning. And John chapter 16. John chapter 16. We'll start in verse 16 and read through verse uh, 28. John chapter 16 and verse 16. A little while, and ye shall not see me. And again, a little while, and ye shall see me, because I go to the Father. Verse 17. That said, some of his disciples among themselves, What is this that he saith unto us? A little while, and ye shall not see me, and again a little while, and ye shall see me, and because I go to the Father. They said, Therefore, What is this that he saith? A little while, we cannot tell what he saith. Now Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him, and said unto them, Do ye inquire among yourselves of that I said, A little while, and ye shall not see me, and again a little while, and ye shall see me? Verily, verily, I say unto you, that ye shall weep and lament. But the world shall rejoice, and ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in travail, has sorrow, because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for the joy that a man is born into the world. And ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. And in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask, and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. These things have I spoken unto you in Proverbs, but the time cometh when I shall no more speak unto you in Proverbs. But I shall show you plainly of the Father. And that day ye shall ask in my name, and I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you. For the Father himself loveth you, because ye have loved me and have believed that I am came out from God. I came forth from the Father and am come to the world, and again I leave the world and go to the Father. If you would read verse twenty-three uh, through verse twenty-four aloud with me, and in that day ye shall see, show me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, He will give it you. Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask, and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. Lord, I love you, and I thank you so much for the Scripture. I thank you for the promises of the Word of God. I'm thankful for this one, that you hear and answer prayer, that we know that we have a God who, when we bow our head, hears our prayer and is ready with an answer. Lord, I pray this morning that you would strengthen our faith. Not so much our faith in prayer, but our faith in the one who answers prayer. That we've been drawn near to our Savior and see this promise and, and live by this promise. Lord, we sing the hymn, Standing on the Promises. Lord, I pray it wouldn't just be a hymn that we sing, but a, but a way that we live, that we would stand upon this promise. the Promises of, of a God who hears prayer and answers prayer. Lord, we love you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe seated. I'm thankful for this promise. I, I am thankful for answered prayer. Uh, You know, answered prayer is a result of something. It's the result of a relationship with the Lord. Matter of fact, it's by prayer that we communicate with the Lord. He communicates with us through his word and the Holy Spirit in our heart, but it's it's by prayer that God hears from us. Now, God can see everything. He's an all-knowing God, and he sees all, but he longs to hear from his people. He longs for us to have a relationship with him. It was the point of salvation. You know, heaven is a wonderful thing. To know that you're saved and on your way to heaven is a wonderful thing, isn't it? To know that hell is not your destination, but that God saved your soul and gave you a home in heaven. What an incredible thing that is. Uh, To have that and to know that you're a child of God is wonderful. but, But that comes as a result of the benefit of having a relationship with the Lord, doesn't it? To as many as received him, to them gave you the power to become the what? The sons of God. The day that you were saved, you were born again. You became a child of God, a son of God. You had a relationship that you did not have before. Before that relationship was broken and separated by sin, and yet God took your sin upon him, and he gave you a relationship with him. And as a result of being a son of God, you became a joint heir of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the inheritance of the Savior is heaven, isn't it? And so heaven became our inheritance. It was our inheritance because we became a child of God. But the point of salvation wasn't just so that I could have heaven. That's an incredible blessing, but it's that I might have a relationship restored with the Savior. Aren't you thankful that you know God, that he knows you and that you know him and that he hears our prayer, that he answers our prayer, that he desires to answer our prayer? Well, I have prayed some prayers in some emergency settings before. Anybody ever offer up an emergency prayer? When I was a kid, I don't know, ten, eleven years old. We lived in Cincinnati, and we lived on Burwood uh, Drive, I think, is what it was. But we would uh, we lived on a block. It was just a few blocks from the church, and we would circle this block on our bikes, my brother and I, all right, and my, Adam and my older brother Matthew, Josh sometimes. Pastor Adam used to run people over on his bike, all right. Let you tell you stories about that. But one time we were riding around the block, and I had a, I had a BMX, you know, a bike, and then I got this ten-speed bike, and this 10-speed bike had a problem, though. A very, uh, very important thing to have: it, the back brakes weren't working. All right, and, and that's a dangerous thing on a bike, right? We all know what happens when you hit the front brakes when you're moving too fast. Pastor Adam has scars, as a uh, you know, uh, scars on his chin. Ask him to show you some places where that hair just won't grow down there, and uh, but uh, uh, from doing that. But yeah, we would go around that block, and we would go up one hill and down the other. Now, when I was 10, that hill was huge. We went back, and my wife mocked me. She didn't think it was that big of a hill but when you're 10, everything's bigger, isn't it? All right. So I I went around that block, came up, we went down around and came back up and we were getting ready to go down that hill. And I jumped off my bike because the back brakes weren't working and I didn't want to have to use just the front brakes on the way down. My older brother, Matthew looks at me and says, what are you doing? What are you doing? I said, my back brakes don't work. He goes, you can make the turn down at the bottom of the hill. Now we all know, how many of you have an older brother? How many have an older brother? You know when your older brother gets you to do something, he's trying to kill you. All right? Everybody knows that universal rule. If you're the younger brother, if your older brother tries to get you to do it, he's trying to kill you. Look, I have younger brothers. I know my intentions with my younger brothers. All right? No. And no, I would have never done that. All right? No, but... But so I, I was like, no, I'm, I'm still walking this bike down the hill. And then Pastor Adam, far from being Pastor Adam, all right, at that moment, you can ride that bike down the hill, all right? So now the challenge was down, right? And now the challenge was down. So I got on the bike, and I, I started riding down the hill. Started going faster and faster and faster, and I thought, I'm not going to make that turn at the bottom of the hill. Now I'm not going to make that turn at the bottom of the hill. But um, all I have is front brakes. I'm going to die. That's what I thought. I'm going to die. And that was what was going through my mind. And all of a sudden, I started crying out, Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. I think everybody in Cincinnati, Ohio could hear me as I hollered out, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. I came to the bottom of the hill, didn't make the turn, ran up into the neighbor's yard and stopped about that far from their house. And a near-death experience, at least that's what I thought when I was 10. All right. And, uh, but a quick offered-up prayer, a quick offered-up prayer. I remember we went back to Indiana for my Christmas uh, one year, and after we had moved down here, we went up to north of Fort Wayne, and we went tobogganing. Anybody ever been tobogganing? Not in Georgia or down here. Yeah, all right, okay. But maybe if you've gone up north, in the huge mass that you will way up on the hill, and they have almost essentially, it's like a half tunnel, and you ride that thing through the ice and the snow, it's awesome. All right. And, well, if you like ice and snow, all right, it's one of the few privileges of ice and snow, otherwise you're just freezing, all right. And on the way back, it started raining a little bit, rather, and rain mixed with that ice and snow, and we were on the way back, and all of a sudden, uh, we hit a spot, and we hydroplaned a little bit, and my car started spinning, and all I could think of is my wife and my children that were in that car with me. That's what I started thinking, and so I quickly prayed, Lord, protect us, and we hit that car next to us, and uh, he spun all around, And but we came to the edge of the road and, and came off to the edge of the road and stopped, and the only thing I had was a, a dent on the side of the car. It was still drivable. The other fellow's car, he was fine thankfully, but it was, it was totaled, And I was thankful for a God who hears prayer in a moment, but I'm thankful. God doesn't, it's not just emergency prayers that God hears. Is it boy, he longs to hear from us as we meet with him a few months ago. when when we lost uh, Silas, Silas little one, and I was more than ever thankful that I could go to God in prayer and spend time with him. Someone asked me recently, brother, uh, you know, we were talking, he, he his grand, his daughter had, and son-in-law were just going through something similar. And I told him, you know, prayer mattered much for me that I could get alone with God and hear from him and, and spend time in his word. I, I'm i thankful for a God who hears prayer. God desires that we would walk with him. And this is a passage of scripture where it gives us this incredible promise a God who hears and answers prayer. I want you to notice the, the power behind the promise. Look at this power in the promise. If you go back to verse 16, look at what the Lord tells his disciples. A little while and ye shall not see me. And again, a little while and ye shall see me because I go to the Father. Now I got to side with the disciples on this one. That sounds pretty pretty confusing at first, doesn't it? Matter of fact, they're confused. Then said some of his disciples among themselves, What is this that he saith unto us? A little while, and ye shall not see me. Again, a little while, and ye shall see me. And because I go to the Father. They said, Therefore, what is this that he saith? A little while. We cannot tell what he saith. They're speaking among themselves, confused at what he said. Now Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him and said unto them, Do ye inquire among yourselves of that I said a little while, and ye shall not see me? And again, a little while, and ye shall see me? Verily, verily, I say unto you that ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. And ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in travail, has sorrow because her hour come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for the joy of a man, that a man is born into the world. And ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again. And your heart shall rejoice and your joy no man taketh from you. Boy, he's given them a little bit of a glimpse. They don't understand it fully now, but in about three days they would, wouldn't they? This is within hours of the moment. He's having his last conversation with them. I'm a, he's about to be betrayed in the garden. He's having these few words with them. And as a matter of fact, you'll begin in chapter 17. And after he's encouraged his disciples with the words that he's having, he's going to launch into a prayer for them and all who would believe in his name in John chapter 17. They go down and they come out of the city and they go into the garden of Gethsemane and there the Lord would look at his disciples and he'd say, would you wait here and pray? And he'd go with Peter and James and John a little bit further and then he himself would go deeper into the, into the garden and he'd begin to pray and he'd come back and they had fallen asleep and he'd say, would you watch and pray with me that let's you enter into temptation? He'd go back to pray a little bit further, and of course he'd come back, and those disciples would have fallen asleep again. Shortly after the about the third time, he would say it, you'd hear the rustling, if you would, through the garden as Judas came with his crowd. Judas would enter into the garden from one end and the soldiers with him, and they would come to find Jesus, and they would find him as he had been in prayer. He'd already been weeping in prayer and sweat drops of blood in prayer as he agonized over people and what he was about to face. And they would ask for Jesus of Nazareth, and John chapter 19 would tell us that he would say, I am he. And when he would say it, they would all fall over backwards. The Lord wasn't going to take one of it, let him take one of his disciples with him. They could have him, but they couldn't have the rest. Judas would kiss him, that kiss of betrayal, and the Lord would allow himself to be taken, showing that no man took him. He allowed himself to go, didn't he? And they would take him that illegal trial at night there before the high priest, and They would hire liars, and they would blaspheme his name and try him and find him guilty of being God. (laughs) And so they would deliver him up to Pilate. Imagine that for a moment, the religious world delivering God to the secular world so they could crucify him. They sent him off to Pilate. Of course, Pilate didn't want much to do with it at all, so he'd send him off to Herod. It's your jurisdiction, Herod. You take care of it. Herod would take him. He thought of him like a carnival show. He wanted to see him do some miracle, the Bible tells us. Herod would ship him back to Pilate, and Pilate would finally try to make a trade between Barabbas and Jesus. And, of course, the crowd would choose Barabbas, and Barabbas, that murderer and that thief, would be released. And the crowd would holler out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. I've often wondered how many of the folks that cried out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him we in the crowd that a few days later, had, earlier, had cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna. But they hollered, hollered, crucify him. So Pilate washes his hands in a basin of water, saying, let his blood be upon you. If he's a wise man, he'd have said, let his blood be upon me. He said, let his blood be upon you. And he washed his hands and sent Jesus off to be crucified. And they would take him, they would scourge him, beat him with that cat of nine tails. Peter would try to follow him earlier to the, before Caiaphas, the high priest, and he would deny the Lord three times and go out weeping, wouldn't he? All of his disciples scattered, Jesus beaten until his flesh hung from his bones, his bones made bare. Have him clothe him with a purple, strip him naked, and then clothe him with a purple robe to mock his royalty and shove a crown of thorns upon his head to mock him as king make him carry his cross after they had plucked out his beard to Calvary. His physical body would give out half part way there, and they would have another man carry the cross the remainder of the way, and then they would take Jesus. They would lay him across, the place him across, and drive nails through his hands and through his feet and hang him on that cross. At one point, the Lord would cry out as it grew dark, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? rhetorical question. Jesus knew exactly why God had forsaken him and turned his back on his own son because Jesus became sin for us. He took your sin upon him and my sin upon him for the wages of sin is death. All for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He took your sin and my sin upon him at Calvary and he bore it. The one who knew no sin who was without sin became sin, your sin and my sin. And he had your sin and my sin on his mind and on him. Short time from there, he would say, it is finished. Just tell us paid in full. What was paid? The price of sin. It is finished, he would say. And he would give up the ghost. Lay down his life. The world would rejoice. Oh, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious world would rejoice. Those who were there would rejoice. And uh, they would rejoice in what happened but his disciples would weep and lament. Mary Magdalene, his mother, the 12 disciples, those who had followed him and loved him were weeping. But it was just three days worth. (laughs) Because on that third day, Mary and Magdalene and, or, and Mary, not Mary and his mother and others of the ladies would go down to anoint his body with spices and they would come to the garden and they would see the stone rolled away and some angels sitting on it and they said, he is not here for he is what? He is risen because the grave could not hold him, could it? The grave could not hold him. I love the verses in the book of Acts where it says this in Acts 2, 22-24. As Peter stood up to preach, he said these words, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, the man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you as ye yourselves also know him, being delivered by the determinate counsel and the foreknowledge of God. Ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain whom God hath raised up having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be holding of it because it was not possible that he should be holding of it because the God who went in the grave, it was impossible that he would stay there. There was no sin big enough. There was no demon large big enough. There was no, no power over him on the third morning. As he said, he would, he came forth, didn't he? Because he is the resurrection and the life. No man rose him. Nobody said Jesus come forth as he had said to Lazarus, Lazarus come forward. He didn't need anybody to call him forward because he was the resurrection and the life. And he rose again that third day showing his power over sin and over the grave. And so we gather today. And you say, why am I here? Because there's a Savior who loved us, died for us, and rose again. Amen. And we want to know him better and we want to worship our Savior. And what promise has he given me? Call unto me, and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. The power behind the promise. How many times do we doubt the promise? How can you doubt the promise when you know the one who signed it? We know this, a promise is only as big as the one who offered it, isn't it? It only finds its value in the one who offered it. If someone makes you a promise, you'll only hold it as much as you respect them or know them or trust them. And here it is. There is one who made a promise. And you say, can he keep it? Well, he came out of the grave, friend. He died for your sin, and he rose again on that third day. Sin could not hold him. Death could not hold him. Romans 8, 32 says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? How can we doubt a promise when he's always, already demonstrated his power for us? The promise of God. I have this promise. There's one who died so I could call upon him. There's one who died and has proven his ability to already to answer it. His power. Look at the practicality of prayer. Look at verse 23. And in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you. Here's a word to circle in your Bible. Whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name. Whatsoever. If I were to share the gospel with you, sooner or later I'd come to the verse in Romans 10, 13. I'd say, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? saved. Whosoever means everybody, doesn't it? It would be all right for me to insert my own name in there. For if Seth Han shall call upon the name of the Lord, he shall be saved. Whosoever is anybody, anytime, anywhere. This verse says whatsoever. What is it that God longs for me to pray about? Everything. Notice the scripture in in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 through 7. Be careful for nothing. Worry about nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. In everything. In everything. I should pray about everything. Yesterday at our men's prayer breakfast, we looked at Joshua chapter 9. In Joshua chapter 9, you're going to find the people of Israel making a grave mistake as they entered into the promised land. The walls of Jericho had fallen. They had faced the defeated Ai, and then Ai had... Then they had conquered Ai as they dealt with the sin of Achan. And as they were preparing, the, the people of Canaan began to mass themselves to go against Israel. And as this was happening, there was, so, there was a, uh, a few cities in there, the Gibeonites, who made a decision. Rather than fight, they would deceive. Boy, when Satan doesn't want to take you on face to face, he certainly wants to deceive you, doesn't he? So they would put on their old garments... Old worn out shoes and old worn out sandals or garments and they would get moldy bread and they would come upon the people of Israel and the leaders of Israel, Joshua and the princes of Israel, and they'd say, we have come from a far country and we are your servants. Look at our clothes, how worn out they are. And look at our sandals, how beaten down they are. Look at our wineskins and how old they are and our bread, how molded it is. We've come from a long way away. Make a league with us and we will be your servants. We'll be your servants. Just make a league with us. I think it's verse 15 of that chapter. Maybe it's verse 14, but right around there. It would say this about the people of Israel and about Joshua and the princes of of Israel. They did not inquire at the mouth of the Lord. They didn't stop and pray. They didn't stop and pray. They used their own logic. They were worried about those armies massing, and so they used their own logic on this simple problem. A few men in old rags and bottles, and they didn't pray, and they made a league with them, only to find out shortly thereafter that they were their neighbors right around the corner. And in Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 2, God said, don't you dare make a league or a covenant. And next thing you know, the people of Canaan massed themselves and went to march against the Gibeonites because they had made a league with Israel. And you know what Israel found itself doing? Serving Gibeon. Rather than Gibeon being their servants, they had to serve Gibeon and protect him. Why? They didn't inquire at the mouth of the Lord. They failed to pray. What should I pray about? Everything, friend. What does God want to hear about? Everything, friend. He wants to hear the emergency prayer in a rush. He wants to hear from you as you be with him in the day. He wants you to pray about the large matters of life. He wants you to pray about the simple details of life. He wants to hear about you as you pray about your long-term goals. He wants you to hear you pray and depend upon him for one day at a time. He wants to hear about everything. Everything. He says, pray about everything. And what what a thing he says there. He says, in that verse, and in that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name. He will give it to you. God has an answer for every question. Matthew 7, 7 through 8. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. He said, seek. You need God's wisdom. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Pray about Everything. Look at this prerequisite for prayer in verse 24. Hitherto have ye asked me nothing in what? My name. Ask and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask and ye shall receive. But he used that word in my name. Another time in the same conversation, but in chapter fourteen, verses twelve through fourteen, he would say this: "Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also; and greater works than these shall they do, shall ye do, because I go unto my Father." And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. John, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, would say again in 1 John five fourteen through 15, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Here it is. He said, I want you to ask according to my, my will, according to my character. He said, if you ask anything acor- uh, according to my name, what is he saying? Is he, is he saying tag my name at the end of whatever you want and it's yours? Absolutely not saying, but ask after my character and ask according to my will. I'm reminded of Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 when I read this. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect, what? Will of God. God answers according to his will. I would ask you this, how do, I, how do I present my body, a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God? How is my life conformed to the image of his son rather than the, the world? Where do I find a place of surrender to the Lord? Where does that all happen? Prayer. Isn't it prayer? That place of Prayer. Where we get alone with God on our knees and in his word. Hey, here's my, here's my trial, Lord. And like Jesus in the garden, he'd lift his voice up in prayer and say to his father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But not my will be done, but what? will be done. See, it's in that place of prayer that we go and lift our requests up before the Lord say, Lord, here's my burden. Here's my situation. Lord, I want your will will in the matter, but I'm presenting myself to you, a living sacrifice. Whatever you have for me, Lord, that is what I want. I want to live for you, but as a result of my living for you, here is my burden. Here is my heart. Here is my need. Lord, would you work and would you answer? And it is in that place that we present ourselves before the Lord. It is in that place of prayer that we lift our requests upon us. And it isn't that place of prayer that he begins to conform us to the image of his dear son. And it's in that place of prayer that we find that God changes us and God changes our circumstances. It's there. The Lord would rebuke the church through James in the book of James chapter four verses one through three. He would said, from whence come wars and fightings among you, Come they not hence, even of your lust, that your war and your members? Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, ye have not, because ye what? Ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lust. He would rebuke the church. Because they didn't come to seek his will, they came to seek their will. Prayer is a place where God changes us. It's a place where we humble ourselves before the Lord and he does a work in our heart and in our life as we uh, offer up ourselves and seek his face, his will above our will. It was in that place of prayer that Paul would go before the Lord and say, Lord, I have this thorn in my flesh. Would you remove it from me? And three times he would lift that request up before the Lord and the Lord would lean down and he would say, no, but my grace is what? sufficient for thee. As he found the will of God was not to remove the thorn, but the will of God was there to strengthen him to his trial and that his grace was sufficient for him. And he found out in that place that in his weakness, God was made strong. And so he said, I'd rather glory in mine infirmities. Make me weak. O God, that your strength might be seen. And that is what happened in Paul's life. He was one of those that turned the world upside upside down, and it all began in prayer. Prayer. Well, what God does in our life as we pray. What God does. You say, how do I know that he can do that? An empty tomb, friend. An empty tomb. That place, that prerequisite, and then we see this product of prayer. Look at verse 24. Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. They were asking themselves a lot of questions, but not asking him much. Ask, and ye shall receive. And then this statement, that your joy may be what? Full. Now, how did they find the answers to what they needed? But they would find the joy of the Lord in their life. He would say this to him in chapter 15, same conversation. He would say, if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken to you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Do you know what's the desire of the Lord, that you be filled with the joy of the Lord? God never wanted his people to be miserable. Look, I can tell you, misery is not a work of God. It's not. It's not a fruit of the spirit for you to be a miserable Christian, all right? It is a fruit of the spirit to be a joyful Christian, amen? It is the call of the Lord that we rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. It is the will of God that in everything we give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. It is the will of God that we be joyful people, rejoicing in the Lord in spite of our circumstances, He was writing to some disciples that were going to face some difficulties of life to the point that their lives would be taken from them. But he said, I want your joy to be full. Where does that joy come from? The presence of God. The presence of God. Where does grace flow from? The throne. Hebrews 4 verse 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace that ye may obtain mercy and find grace to help in what? Time of need. Aren't you thankful for the throne of grace? As a result of what God did at Calvary for us, if He has given us access into the throne of God, a place that outside of Jesus we would, have, we would have no right to be there. But the moment you put your trust in Christ, you became a child of God, a joint heir of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the inheritance of the Savior became yours as well. I can come boldly before the throne because... I belong there because he saved me and he's given me a seat in the heavenlies. And it is from that throne of grace that the grace of God flows. Let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace that ye may obtain mercy and find what? Grace to help in time of need. The grace of God that came to me and flowed from the throne when I came to him in prayer to save me. For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves, but the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. In May of 1995 at Madera Baptist Church that I had the faith in my heart that I knew that I was a sinner and there was a Savior who died for me, and I called upon him. That faith produced a call, right? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And as I called upon him in faith, the grace of God flowed and saved me, didn't it? you know how grace flows through the life of a Christian? From the throne through prayer. From the throne through prayer. Joy flows in the life of the Christian as we pray. A work of God in our life. There's joy. And you say, I'm I'm lacking joy. Pray. You say, I can't pray my way out of it. There's a God who can get you through it. And if you don't believe it, go look for a tomb with him in it you're going to find a hole in the ground with Jesus in it. He's at the right hand of the throne of God. He endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now he's sitting down because his work is done. And the next time he stands, my friend, he's coming back. He's taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God because he did everything that was needed for you and I to be saved. That everything that was needed for you and I to be saved and everything that was needed for you and I to live the Christian life, it is done. And the next time he stands, it's because he's calling us up out of here. And he's given us this incredible promise. Ask, and it shall be given unto you. Ask according to my will. Get alone with God in prayer. Lift your burdens before the Lord and let him conform you to the image of his dear son. As you pray and say, Lord, not my will be done, but thine be done. What is your will? Here is my burden. God, do a work in me and for me. And you find God, deal with the circumstance and deal with you. And as a result of it, there is joy, full joy. He didn't say a little bit. He didn't say half. He said full. He says in that verse that your joy might be full. Here's the call of joylessness. Prayer. You lacking joy? Pray. Go to your God. Bring your burden for the Lord and Pray. Our lack of joy is not his fault. It's our fault. I don't get to say that I'm lacking joy because of what you've done to me, Jesus. Lord looks down at us and says, no, my friend. I promise you full joy if you'll just come to me. If you'll just come to me. The incredible blessing of Prayer. Three times in this chap in these chapters, 14, 15, and 16, this last conversation the Lord had with his disciples before his crucifixion and resurrection, he mentions prayer three times. It's as if he thought they would need it when he was gone. Right? It's as if he thought that, guys, I'm about to be gone and out of here. I'm gonna leave you with the incredible gift of the Holy Spirit, but you're gonna need to pray. You've had me with you every moment. When you were hungry, I broke bread and there was more. When there was a need for money to be paid to taxes, I said, Peter, go fishing, and there was a coin. When Peter, when your mother-in-law was sick, well, I I healed her. When there was a disease-ridden person, I took care of it. And I'm still willing to do it, fellas, but you're going to have to ask. And you'll find in the ask... Not only will I answer your situation, but I'll change your character as well. And I'll give you the joy of the Lord. What an incredible promise, Christian. That the one who died for me also said to me, If you will pray, I will hear. No wonder the devil wants to keep us from prayer, right? He couldn't keep God in the grave. So he might as well let us live like he's still in the grave. Right? He couldn't keep him there. So he might as well make us live like he didn't raise and he doesn't answer prayer. And unfortunately, many times that's what we do. We will go through a day, go through a week, without a moment of prayer. As if he's still in a, in a tomb that's really empty. Pray whatsoever you pray in everything pray because there's one who rose again and there's one who sits at the right hand of the throne of God and is ready to answer prayer when we call let's pray together Lord I love you and I thank you for the goodness and the grace of God I'm thankful for a Savior who died on the cross and rose again three days later that we might be saved I'm thankful that not only did he rise again but he's given us this incredible instruction to pray to, Lord, to know that our Father hears and answers. It's because of what your Son did for us at Calvary that you hear us when we pray. You have beckoned us to the throne of grace and asked us to call upon you, ready with an answer and ready with a joy for the Christian who call. Lord, maybe you laid on someone's heart specifically this morning something they failed to pray about and, re- and reminded them to pray. I pray that we would pray. Maybe it's just been a while since we've set some time aside to pray. Maybe we're more in the habit of the emergency prayers when we desperately need it, rather than setting time aside with God. But I pray that we would be a praying people, not out of a faith in prayer, but a faith in the One who answers prayer. The One who rose again is the same One that hears and answers. Let me ask you this: as you're sitting, as you're in your seats there with heads bowed and eyes closed, how many of you could say with honesty—and don't raise your hand if you're not sure—but you could say, "Preacher, I know that I'm saved. In terms of what He did at the cross and His resurrection, I know He did it for me. that I knew that I was a sinner." He died in the cross for me. He rose again for me, and I could give you a time and place. You may not remember the exact date or locate time, but but you've trusted in Christ. That's a settled thing for you. Would you raise your hand as a testimony? So, preacher, I'm saved and I know it. Thank you. you. May put your hand down. Is there anybody anybody here this morning that would say, preacher, I'm unsure of that, but I would like today to be my time and place. I'm unsettled about heaven. I don't know whether that's where I'm headed. I believe that Jesus died for me and rose again, I want to put my trust in him this morning. I want to know heaven is my home and Jesus as my Lord. I want to have a relationship with him. If you say, Preacher, that's me, would you raise your hand so I can pray for you, Preacher? Is there anybody like that? You say, Preacher, pray for me. Thank you. You May put your hand down? Let me ask you this again, Christian. How many of you say, Preacher, the Lord has spoken to my heart? Maybe it's a specific matter God laid on your heart and just reminded you. I know you're worried over it, but you haven't prayed much about it. Maybe it's the topic of prayer as a whole that you've begun not to carve out that time to meet with God and that the custom of your life is to throw up a request in a state of emergency rather than developing a relationship with Him. Maybe it's just a reminder to you this morning that a risen Savior can certainly answer prayer. You say, Preacher, the Lord has spoken to my heart. Would you raise your hand as a testimony? and Would you stand with me as that pianist begins to play? As God has spoken in your heart, why don't you use the altar this morning and